The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning, Park Church. The text for this morning is Psalm chapter 46. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one in the pew back in front of you. And if you don't have one at home, please take that home as a gift from Park Church. Again, it's Psalm chapter 46. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the whole habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. A couple of announcements as we begin. Um, you should have been handed a CD when you walked in. Uh, every summer as we return to the Psalms, uh, we, uh, our, our musicians actually last summer as we were in the Psalms uh, recorded a, a series of songs based on Psalm 32. And, uh, and then over, over the course of the last year, those songs have been recorded. Um, they've been uh, mastered, mixed, and all the other things that ends up putting it on a piece of plastic. Um, and so uh, these psalms we've made available to you. Uh, our hope is that this would help you as you worship in the light of Psalm 32, as you pray in the light of Psalm 32, and hopefully as you memorize Psalm 32 um, as a community. Uh, second thing I'd like to mention is next Sunday night after the 5 p.m. service, um, we're having a family meeting. So if you are a covenant member of Park Church, uh, we want to invite you and encourage you and implore you, please be here uh, after that service. Service ends about 6.30, and uh, we will come together and celebrate the things that God has been doing over the last few months. We, we have a number of things that we want to make you aware of that we can celebrate together as a family, um, and then a number of things that we're excited about in the coming months that we want to share with you. Our hope is that belonging to this church would not just be membership in a club. Um, this just wouldn't simply be a place that you happen to show up on Sundays, um, but rather that this would be a community that you belong to, uh, a family that you're a part of. And so I would encourage you to be here next week following the 5 p.m. service. Let me pray, and we will turn to Psalm 46. Father, there are, there are things in this chapter of Scripture that are, that are almost too wonderful to utter. And yet, far too often we blow through songs and we sing about you as a fortress, as a mighty fortress. We sing about you as a refuge. We, we, 
um, we, we even consider you as a, as a river that brings gladness. We, we, we think about these things, we talk about these things, but, but very, very rarely do we stop and meditate on them and consider the, the wonder of, of what you say about yourself in these verses. And, and so God, I, I believe that what we need, what I need most desperately that this morning is to consider and to believe and to experience the reality of this text. And not merely to cognitively kind of get some, some new theology or maybe some, some great metaphors for what you're like, but to actually walk into, to experience, to, to find rest and to find stillness in your character and your holiness and your promises. So I pray that you would come, that your spirit might bring us into these things, might lead us into these truths. That we wouldn't just talk about them. We wouldn't just tell stories about them. We wouldn't just sing songs on a screen and then leave. But God, that we might be utterly transformed as we behold you in these words. So come. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, I spent the last week with my extended family at a dude ranch. It's good. It's appropriate to laugh. So um, we, we, uh, we arrived there Sunday afternoon. Sunday night they had an orientation. And then the very, very first scheduled event um, for our week um, at the dude ranch, the majestic dude ranch, heavy, it's very majestic, uh, was we were to eat breakfast. And then they were going to introduce us to our horses. Um, now, ho- horses are kind of the center of, I don't know if you've had an, um, an experience at a dude ranch. I hadn't until this week. Um, I thought that horses were kind of a peripheral aspect of it. It was kind of an optional thing. It's actually the centerpiece of any vacation at a dude ranch. As you um, meet your horse, you're introduced to your horse, you, you spend time with your horse, you ride your horse. Now, um, I have generally avoided all experiences involving horses um, for most of my life. And I'd hoped that this vacation, um, even though it was at a dude ranch, I could actually avoid any interactions with a horse, but I was told that I actually had a horse that was assigned to me. I was going to be introduced to this horse. We were going to be friends. I was going to ride this horse, which seemed impossible and horrifying, almost abusive to me, um, that I would be on a horse this week. Not abusive to me, mind you, abusive to the horse. Um, and, uh, and yet I was told I needed to be at the corral, the horse corral, um, at 9.30 in the morning. So you arrive at the horse corral at 9.30 in the morning. They call your name. You step forward either over the fence or around the little thing into the fence. Um, I step forward. The head wrangler looks me up and down, um, turns his face and says, bring me Queenie. <laughs> now, now, Queenie was a draft horse, which means it was the largest horse you've ever seen in your life. Imagine a Clydesdale without the boots. He was a gigantic, enormous horse, a horse so big um, that it it was impossible to fall off of Queenie. Um, Queenie, if you fell off of Queenie, you were simply falling onto another part of Queenie. You you weren't going to come off the horse. Um, And and so I, I... with great trepidation, I got on top of Queenie. I even apologized as I got on. To, told her that I'd been dieting recently and hoped that it would be a better experience for her. Um, and, and, and so what proceeded to happen every morning for the whole week was um, you would get on your horse. Um, I would get on, on to Queenie. Um, and I looked like a small child, hard to imagine, but legs just shot out straight because I couldn't get them around Queenie. Um, and then we would get in a line with our horses and we'd walk along a trail and we'd see pretty things and it was nice. But one of the things you discover um, at a dude ranch on a trail ride is that um, trail rides are the organic equivalent of the, the car racing ride at Disney World. 
So at the car racing drive, ride at Disney World, you have the illusion of control. You can turn to the right, and yet you, you, don't, you just kind of go wherever the rails tell you to go. You can press down on the pedal. It lets you speed up a little bit. It makes you slow down a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's completely an illusion. You have no control. You go where you're supposed to go. You end up where you started. And, and so there is no chaos. There's no real will involved. You just kind of hold the wheel, and you drive, much to my children's chagrin when we visited Disney World. Um, riding a horse on a trail ride is very much like this. Riding Queenie was identical to this. Um, there, there, was no, there was no power or influence or, or actual control that was to be exercised by me. I couldn't turn Queenie to the right or to the left. If I pulled on her reins, she literally would just pull back um, and just keep going as though you're stupid. We're just going here. Um, and I could kick as hard as I could. Again, there was just this, literally at one point where she's stopped. She's just decided it's tough walking and I'm kicking as hard as I can. And she literally turns (laughs) and just looks at me and then eventually keeps going, but not very, very clearly wanting to say this is not in response to any, anything you're doing. So you're on this trail ride. You have nothing to do except to make small talk. And so um, uh, they told us that we we're going to arrive as strangers. We we're going to leave as family, and this is going to be a wonderful week. And so I begin to strike up conversations as we're riding our horses, um, as I'm riding Queenie um, through the woods on a trail ride. Um, and, and the conversations were actually really, really, really fun. Man, I get to hear, meet people from Boston, meet people from all over the country that had come to Colorado to ride horses, and every single one of those conversations ended the exact same way. I would avoid at all costs asking them what they do. So if I ask them what they do, they're going to ask me what I do. And if they ask me what I do, then the conversation's over. But eventually, you get... You get to the point in the conversation when they would turn to me and ask, after finding out where I live, family, the whole deal, and they would say, hey, well, what do you do there in Denver? And, and the moment I would say I'm a pastor, um, th- this plays out on, on every airline flight I've ever been on um, to the point now that I just put headphones in when I sit down, don't even try to talk to anyone. Um, uh, that, that the moment I say I'm a pastor, same response 100% of the time, I don't care who it is, oh, turn conversation ends. Um, so we're, we're, we're riding along on the trail. I'm talking to the head wrangler who's assigned me to Queenie. Uh, again, lengthy conversation. Went into in-depth, man, just narrative of his life, of his, of his kids' lives, of what they do in LA and, and how he'd arrived at this point in his life. And then it kind of comes to the point in the conversation where the questions are going to start getting directed at, at me and tell, asking the story of my life and where I ended up and how I ended up doing that. Um, and then the moment he finds out I'm a pastor, the, the conversation is over. We live in a day and age in which it's, it's difficult, if not impossible, and to, to have a conversation with someone and tell the story of our lives and bring the most important thing in our lives into the conversation. We live in a, a secular age in which God has been banned from every conversation. God has been banned from, from um, debates and from wrestling with, with, with the central and most important issues of our day. As we consider things like identity, as we think about our jobs, as we think about family, as we think about marriage, and discussion of the person and the character of God has been evacuated, if not explicitly banned from our, from our language and the way that we talk to one another and the way that we live our lives within the society. The transcendent has been emptied for us. Here 
Here is the most important reality in the universe. And his name, his character, his holiness, his word, what he's like, has been, is treated everywhere as if it is the most irrelevant, um, the most um, illogical, the, the least pertinent part of any conversation. And yet I would contend, and I, I believe this text would contend, and the whole Bible would hold up to us, that he is the most important thing to consider when we talk about anything. So oftentimes we, we arrive here on a Sunday and we want three steps to being a better husband or a better mom. But we want tangible takeaways for, for what are we supposed to do with our job on Monday? And we step into a text right now that is immediately relevant to all of those things, but in the end it simply calls us again and again and again three times not to, not to a set of actions, not to uh, new practices to put in place in our life, simply calls us again and again and again to consider God, to think together about what he's like. The, the text in the not less, next to last verse invites us to be still, to, to, to put down our constant striving for things to do, to things to grow in, and no, to be still and to consider together that God is God, to know him as God. To experience him as God. There's a wonderful text in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, in, in this text, Paul has been outlining what we're supposed to do when we open the Bible together. How, how it is that God affects transformation in our lives and actually begins to change the way that we think about the world and the way that we live our lives in the world and bear his image in the world. And, and he says this. He says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness. But Paul contends there. Oh, he, he's going to give us all kinds of things to do eventually. But what he says is central to what it means to be a human being. But what it means to bear God's image in the world is you must see his glory. You must come to a place my prayer this morning is we would come to that place together where you can be still and know that he is God. To see him in his glory, his majesty, his beauty, his character. That we would marvel together at what he's like. And so here in Psalm 46, um, the, the, the psalmists have broken it down for us into three very distinct stanzas or paragraphs for us to look at together. Each one expounding a different aspect of who God is. And one of the things that stood out to us um, right off the bat as we begin to look at this text together um, as a pastoral team is how, is how much this text is not about us. How much this text over and over and over again um, really pulls us back to verse 10 that we would know that he is God and what he's like. In other words, it fixes our attention not on our troubles, not on our circumstances, not on what we should do at all, but rather fixes our attention, fixes our focus and our affections on the, on the person of God. So let's do that. Look with me again, starting at verse 1. The psalmists say this, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. 
God is our refuge and strength. Just sang a song. A mighty fortress is our God. A song that celebrates the the, the reality that God is a refuge to us, a strength to us, a a fortress for us, a place um, that we can find stability, that we can find rest, that we can find safety, that we can find protection. Has that actually shaped your understanding of what God is like? I don't know what you think about when you imagine who God is. Maybe some sort of angry deity waiting to crush you. Maybe some sort of distant deity who doesn't really get involved in the details of our lives and the details of history. That's not what the psalmist calls us to see, to know. God calls himself our fortress. He calls himself our refuge. What is it like to live in a world where the most powerful being, the most sovereign being, the most glorious being in the universe declares to us, take refuge in me. Let me be a fortress to you. Let me be a place of stability and strength for you. Let me be a shield to you. Let me be a rock to you. And what does it do in a world like ours where, where this God, this God who made all things, who created all things, that this God comes to us as his people and says, oh, may I be a fortress to you. I love looking at the mountains. Um, yesterday I got to go to the airport twice. Um, once to drop off my wife and once to pick up my wife. Her flight was canceled. And so um, I love going to the airport. It's my favorite thing twice, um, particularly because they put it in Kansas. And so, um, and so, so yesterday, as, as I'm driving to the airport, it's a beautiful, clear day. You could just see the whole front range just stretching out in every direction. I love, I really do enjoy picking people up at the airport who've never been to Colorado before, never flown into Denver before, and then getting in the car and heading straight west on Pena Boulevard. And, and there you see kind of stretching out in front of you in all directions and these mountains that seem absolutely unmovable. They're massive. I love to drive among them and see their majesty and see their beauty, um, to, be, to have that sense of awe again, that sense of my own smallness. Uh, but I, I, I love the fact that you can always tell west from east um, just by knowing where the mountains are. And you can basically always see the mountains, that they're always over there. What if they moved? Here's the thing. Everything in your life at some point is going to be shaken. Whatever it is that you think, man, here's where my feet rest. I, I, may, not have, um, I may not have my job figured out. I may not have um, whatever figured out. But I know, I know about my family. Oh, the day will come when it's shaken. I don't know about who I'm going to marry. I don't, know about my, uh, I don't know about my health. I don't know about any of those things, but I know about my career. This is what I'm doing. Um, this is where uh, my life is going to progress. You know how many people I've spoken to just in the last couple of months and whose careers have been shaken to their core. They've lost their job. How many people in this room, and they thought, hey, I've got my health. And an accident comes. 
They sit in a doctor's office and they hear the word cancer. A number of you have had your lives shaken to their core recently. We, find, we, we, we long to find a place of rest, to find, find a place to put down roots, to find a place that says, hey man, if everything else gives way in my life, at least I have this. How precious it is that God comes to us and says, I am your refuge. I am your strength. And then a very present help really glad he didn't just say help there but he said very present very present not even just present but immediately present near close oh here is a god who does not remain at a distance here's not a god who simply delivers to us some sort of some sort of religious knowledge that may guide you or help you morally or ethically in your life here is a god who is present with his people to help them to be a bulwark to them to be a fortress to them to be a refuge to them when everything else is shaking therefore we will not fear. Though everything else in your life give way, to know God this way, to experience God this way, is to be absolutely unafraid. Oh, when the anxiety comes, when the fears come, when the trembling comes, when you don't know anything else about your life, here is a rock on which to build your life. Everything else will be shaken, but he is a fortress to us. Behold your God. Second stanza. There's a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Here's, here's this contrast set up for us by the psalmist. In the first stanza, he talked about the oceans. He talked about the waters that raged, that, um, that, that literally the, the image here is that they're angry, that they're trying to destroy us, um, that, that, that reality itself begins to come unglued, and it seems like nature itself is bent on our destruction. Um, and, and here's a contrast. Here's not oceans, here's not waters raging, but here's a stream. And it's a stream that, that comes, a river that comes, and it brings gladness to the city of God. Um, now, the city of God points to, makes reference to the city of Jerusalem. And one of the interesting things about the city of Jerusalem is it's incredibly hard to get water to. It, it was a, a constant plague to the city. It's a constant struggle. How do we get water to, to this mass of people? It's not built alongside a river. It's not built alongside a stream. And so God says, man, to, to those who are parched, to those who are thirsty, to those who long for gladness. That's me. Oh, Imagine a God who not only is a refuge to us, not only is he strength to us, not only is he a God who, who is a very present help to us, uh, but a God who declares to us, I long to be like streams of, of water, streams of gladness. 
It reminds me in, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah um, is, is calling all of creation and, and into a courtroom um, to indict his people. But there's a phrase as he brings his indictment uh, against the people of Israel. He, he says, oh, be appalled, man, be, be, be offended, be just under, don't even understand what's going on, um, creation, because my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. And he calls himself this, the fountain of living water. What must it be like to live in a world with a God who made all of it? Not only is he not distant, but he is near, and he wants to be a refuge to you. But he bends his will, he bends his strength to be to us, that his presence might be to us a source of gladness and joy. Do you know that God wants your gladness? Do you believe it? We think of God as dour. We think of him as powerful. We think of him as holy. We think of him as righteous. We think of him as all kinds of things. But how often do you meditate on the reality that God wants to be a source of infinite joy, infinite gladness to you? How would that change your life? Oh, we long to be, to be marked by joy. We long to be marked by gladness. We long to find something, some, some place to go and drink deeply and, and to find their joy, to find their gladness. And here God holds himself out, and not just as a purveyor of, of, of religious rules, but he actually comes to us and says, come and drink. Come here and find joy, find gladness, find Yes, find a refuge, find strength, find help. But in my presence, find gladness itself. And then, therefore, therefore she shall not be moved. Oh, if God as our refuge keeps us from anxiety and fear, and God as our joy. He keeps us from the, the whims of a life, chasing after, um, chasing after joy, chasing after pleasure everywhere else but here. All oh, those who've been satisfied by the gladness of God are not tossed about by mere whims. They have roots. They have life. They have joy. So here is a God who is our refuge and strength. Here is a God who is streams of gladness, making happy, making joyful the people of God such that they are not moved. Third stanza. Come behold the works of the Lord. So for two stanzas, he's talked about the nature, the essential nature and character of God. And now he does something different. He calls us as a people, um, not simply to look at God, but now to look at what God is doing, what, what he's doing on the earth, what he's doing in our lives. It's like, okay, so, so here's a God who's a refuge. Here's a God who brings us gladness, who is our gladness. Um, and, and now in verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord. Now let's look at what this gladness bringing refuge God does. How he has brought desolations on the earth. Like glad desolations? Refuge bringing desolations? Wait, wait. You kind of want to argue with the psalmist here and say, hey, sell me on this deal. 
Gladness maybe miswrote something. The men of the Hebrew. That's not what he calls us to see. He says, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Here's a word of war making. Here is a God, not only is he a refuge to us, not only does he bring um, with himself and his presence gladness to us, here is a God at war. He's already called himself in the refrain. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies who is with us. He is the God of Jacob. Jacob, the, the famous, um, famous general who leads um, the, the people of God in war. Um, this is the God of Jacob. This is the God who is the God of armies. He is a God who is violent. But look at what his violence, his desolations bring. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So so here's the picture. This city um, basking in the presence of God. This city kept safe by God as their refuge. Um, And then this God says, not only do I sit here passively just kind of keeping you safe, not only just um, try to bring you with my presence a sense of joy. No, I'm actively at work in the world all around you. I'm actively at work in your own lives making war. On war. Making war on death. Making war on the very things that would destroy you. Oh, he brings desolations. Oh, he makes war. And sometimes his wars hurt. But here's the resolve of God He will destroy. Everything that threatens to destroy his people, even things that you love that will kill you. Here's a God of utter resolve, more resolve than you and I can muster, to eliminate the enemies of his people, particularly the things that we love that will destroy us. Oh, come, behold the desolations of God as he has waged war in our lives against death, against wrongly ordered loves, against the addictions that will destroy us, against the good things that we make ultimate things. Here is a God who brings desolation for our good. Behold your God. God who delights to be a refuge to you. A God who announces himself as a stream bringing gladness. And a God of war. Making war for your life. Making war for your joy. Making war against all that would crush and destroy you. And then verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. But we love the coffee cup verse, right? Be still and know that I am God. 
But at the foundation of everything else he said in, in these nine verses, at the foundation of all of it, it is an absolute divine resolve. I will be exalted. I will be worshipped. Oh, I will be known. I will be seen. I will be known as the God of, of hosts. I will be the one who, who conquers his enemies. I will be known as one who is a refuge to my people. I will be known as the one who, who, who is the source of joy and gladness here at, at the heart, at, the, at the, the root, the soil out of which all of these glorious things come. It's an absolute thing that you must know about this God. All of his strength, all of his might, all of his unassailable will is bent on being exalted over all the earth. There will be people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation who will know he is God. And that these, these realities are not in conflict, they're utterly bound together. That he would be a refuge to his people, that he would be a source of joy for his people, that he would make war on behalf of his people, that they are utterly connected to, intimate, inseparable from his absolute resolve to be exalted. He will be worshipped. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. This isn't just a wish. This is a declaration. God will do this. Behold your God. A refuge, a strength, a fountain of joy, and a God will to accomplish his absolute purpose to be known. And so I wonder this morning, do you know that you need a refuge? That you need a place that's unmovable? You need, you need a place to, to find help? Um, do, do you know that, that the most, that the place where you're most exposed um, there was a uh, paintball gun war at the dude ranch this week. I observed. Um, I did not participate um, because uh, they wouldn't let you participate if you're over the age of 16. Um, and it was a bummer because it was like the main thing I wanted to do at the dude ranch was shoot my son with a paintball gun. So, um, and, and during the paintball gun war, the, the thing that you did not want, and I was trying to coach my son on this, but he didn't get it. He was just kind of, I'm going to go out there and just shoot. You don't want to be exposed, right? You don't want to be standing in the middle of the street between all the barriers and just shooting. Um, just like the movies do that deal, but that's not good for you. You're going you're gonna to get hit. You're going to get welts all over your body. Um, do, do you know this morning that you're exposed? You're standing in the middle of the street. And it's not about your career. It's not about your family. It's not about any of those things. At the end of the day, you're Sin exposes you. Our sins expose us. Expose us to judgment, to death, to destruction. How amazing is it that our judge and our king does not command us to get our lives together. He says, oh, come to me 
and let me be a refuge to you from judgment itself. Oh, come to me and let me be a strength to you in the midst of sin. Oh, come to me and let me be a very present help to you. Do you know this morning that you need a refuge? Surely you know that you need joy. I mean, nobody moves to Colorado, really. I mean, maybe you did, but I don't want to say nobody. Hardly any of you moved here for your career. There are other places in this country you can go and, and that are way easier, cheaper to live, um, way easier to advance your career. Um, but, but why do we move here? Because you want to see wonder. You want joy. But whether it's just beholding mountains like me, or it's actually walking up them, like the more athletic of you, or it's just skiing, or whatever the thing is, you moved here because you wanted something joyous. You needed gladness. You needed, you wanted something that you couldn't get elsewhere. Surely you know you need gladness. And here is a God who calls himself the source of all of it. His presence is ultimately what you long for. Surely you know you need someone to wage war on your behalf. Oh, that there's an enemy, that there are affections, that there's, there are loves in you that you, you will be destroyed by. There are enemies in this world that will crush you. And here we have a God who has come to us in Jesus and, and, and accomplished the atonement for our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, that he might be a refuge to us. Here's a God who comes and, and as Jesus accomplishes our adoption, he gives us his presence that he might be a joy to us. And here is a God who at the cross declared war on our greatest enemies, sin and death itself. And here it's a life marked by freedom marked by gladness, marked by security, not in your circumstances, but, but in seeing and beholding and knowing that he is God. Let's pray. So, Father, come, send your spirit now to, to lead us into this truth. Oh, God, that you would not simply, we wouldn't simply know you or sing songs about you being a refuge. We would even now, even in this moment, God, I pray that, that those in this room who feel like everything in their life is shaking and they can't find a stable point anywhere, oh, God, I pray that they would experience you this morning as a refuge. Oh God, those who are in this room longing for joy, tossed about everywhere, chasing after gladness, anywhere they can find it, I pray, oh God, that this morning that you would be a stream, uh, a river, uh, a fountain of living waters, that they would find in you joy. God, who those who particularly feel with poignancy their, their helplessness, their weakness to fight, Oh, that they would find you this morning, experience you this morning as the God of armies, the God who makes war on their behalf. And God, I pray for all of us that we would be still and stunned at your absolute resolve to be exalted. So God, come. 
Lead us into these things. May we experience them. May we know them. And then, oh God, may in, in that knowing, may we find stillness. May we find peace. May we find a refuge. In your name we pray. Amen.